As we continue our study of the gospel according to Matthew, please open your Bibles to chapter 19. Matthew 19, we're picking it up in verse 16, no, verse 13, I'm sorry. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 13, and reading through the end of the chapter. This is God's Word. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come. Follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Why would they do that? Because Jesus is important. Jesus is busy. Jesus should not have to bother with little children. Makes sense to me. I mean, if you want to see somebody who's important, you make an appointment. 
and you may not be able to get an appointment. Some people just are unavailable because there are thousands of people who want to see them, and there aren't that many hours in a day. So you have people. Have your people see my people. Have your people talk to my people. Have your people call my people. You, you, you just have to create boundaries. Well, boundaries are important, aren't they? Jesus, Jesus apparently was not doing a good enough job keeping boundaries in place to protect his time, to protect himself. And as a result, the disciples had to do it for him. They stepped in the gap and they told these folks, don't bring those children. He doesn't have time for that. Don't do that. It's interesting because these two stories back to back illustrate how messed up most people's priorities are. In the first story about the little children, you have the question of who's important. Who's important? Well, children don't seem very important. The second story, it's about the rich. The rich seem important, okay? If you have an opportunity to meet with a rich person or a poor person, which one's going to be able to help you, okay? And that's what counts. It's who can help us. Who can do something for us? So, obviously, if you have a chance to meet with a rich person versus meeting with a poor person, you'd take the rich person. That's just priorities. Makes perfect sense. And as far as the needs of a child, I mean, the parents just wanted him to touch them and pray for them. That's all. They weren't asking for counseling sessions. They just wanted a few moments with the miracle-working master. The disciples were like, that is not important. Go away. And Jesus rebukes them and says, Let the little children come to me, and don't hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. One of the things that has saddened me in recent years is the fact that some folks who are very concerned that we ought not to, what shall we say, give people false security about their salvation because once upon a time when they were a little child they prayed a prayer and therefore they got baptized and now they're not living like it but it's okay because they're still going to heaven because they once upon a time prayed a prayer and got baptized and so they're in they're good okay and in some traditions of course you don't even have to pray a prayer you just get baptized before you can say no okay you're brought as a child, water sprinkled or poured. And if you're in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, you're baptized by immersion, but it's still before you have any say in the matter. And that's okay because once you've received that grace, you're in. You're part of the family. It's a dear friend of mine used to say every time he baptized an infant, or I should say sprinkled an infant, um, he'd hold the child up and say, welcome to the family. And everybody loved it. Very appealing. 
Well, some people are very concerned about that. And their feeling is people who don't know the Lord are being given false assurance of their salvation. We should not do that. We need to be sure that before we baptize someone and tell them they're a Christian, that they really, really are a Christian, okay? So if you're three years old, you don't know what you're doing. When you're five, you still don't know what you're doing. So when you're nine, really not old enough. Um, We need to wait till the age when a lot of churches have confirmation class. And that's around age 12. You get confirmed, and um, if you're in certain traditions, the bishop would come and put oil on your head, symbol of you receiving the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and, um, and then now you're in, okay? But then what happens if around that time you also happen to hit puberty and all kinds of things begin to change, not just in your body, but in your emotions and potentially in your behavior. And now we're wondering, was that person really saved? Because they're sure not acting like it. I'm not sure. So some pastors that I know personally believe you really shouldn't baptize people until they've made an adult commitment. Just just withhold it. We're not saying they're not saved. We're just saying we don't know. Not sure. So let's wait until they're like 18. Does that surprise anybody here? Surprised me. These were people I know and people I respect, and they're saying, we don't want to baptize people under the age of 18 because we don't want to give them false assurance of their salvation. And I'm saying, as Jesus said to the Pharisees, have you not read? Jesus says, regarding the little children who were brought by their parents, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Look back just prior to this in chapter 18 at verse 1 and following. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on at great length, and we looked at it a few meetings ago. But here's the question. Is there any point at which Jesus says to a child, Unless you change and become like a grown-up, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. No, he doesn't say that. Jesus says to grown-ups, you need to be born again. You need to humble yourself and be like a little child. Huh. So can a little child be born again? Yes, absolutely. I was born again as a preschooler. No one was in the room with me except God. I came to the conclusion by God's mercy and grace that I needed to respond to the gospel, which I knew well and which I believed intellectually, 
but which I'd never responded to. I believed it was true, but I'd never asked the Lord to save me. Intellectually, I knew that I'd sinned. I knew that Jesus was the only hope of salvation, but I hadn't acted on it. It's a little like those stories you hear of someone who dies and they've got a whole bunch of uncashed checks. My aunt died with thousands of dollars in uncashed checks from the government sitting in her son's dresser because she was senile and he was crazy. And he felt like if he goes and deposits his mom's check at the bank, even though she's still living and she's entitled to the Social Security benefits, that would let people know that she's no longer with it. So he literally just put the checks in his dresser drawer. And when I found out about this, he was still living, and I said, David, why did you not deposit these checks? He said, well, I, I, just, I just didn't want people to know about mom's condition. Was that her money? Yeah, but did she benefit from it at all? No, not in the least. I heard the gospel. I believed it was true, and I didn't act on it at all. You can probably look at me and tell that I am not a great example of muscularity. But I know how to build muscle. I know what to do. But if you don't do it, you won't get there. If you guys, knowing what you know about fitness and strength training and speed training and all that, took all that knowledge and did nothing with it, would you be in great shape? No, absolutely not. Well, as a child, I understood that I needed to respond to the gospel, and I asked the Lord to save me, and he did. How do you know? Because he promised. He promised. It wasn't based on the fact that suddenly a light came into the room, and I felt this warm flush all through my body, and I just knew I've been born again. No, I know that God saves because God promises whoever calls on me, I'll save. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I cried out to him, sincerely asking that he save me and he take over my life. And he did. But by the time I was five years old, I realized that I didn't understand things as fully back then and I wanted to be sure. And so my father wisely walked me through the gospel, asking questions. And lo and behold, assured of God's promises, I had peace with the Lord. Now, by the time I was seven, I realized that at age five, you really don't understand things all that well. By the time I was nine, I understood that at age seven, you really don't understand things that well. By the time I was 11... I wanted to be baptized. And my dad said, you have to wait till you're 18. No. He said, we need to talk about this. Why do you want to be baptized? And the reason I wanted to be baptized is because that's what Jesus says we're supposed to do. 
If we're his followers, we should be baptized. Because our baptism is a picture of his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we're buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. That's why you ought to be baptized. So, I was baptized. But at age 14, I had hit puberty. And there was a whole different world of temptation out there that I had not encountered before. I didn't become a wild prodigal. But I did have to yield my life to God afresh. And you know what? That wasn't the last time. Daily taking up your cross and following Jesus is what it takes to be his disciple. It's not a one-time thing. But anybody who thinks children can't be born again and that born-again people ought not to be baptized until they've proved that they're born again to the rest of the church, I believe has grossly misunderstood the Scriptures. Children are vitally important. And if you think, what could I do in this world that would make a difference? I don't want to just be a cog in the wheel. I want to make a difference in this world. Well, you will not find a better place to invest your life than in the lives of children. And that includes any children God gives you, and it includes any children God puts in your care. There are precious staff members here who could be making a lot more money for retirement if they weren't working here. They could be doing something that has greater prestige if they weren't working here. They could be doing something to make a difference. They are doing something to make a difference because they're investing in the lives of children who are precious in God's sight. About now, our students should be feeling pretty good. Yeah, it's us, <laughs> little treasures. Well, what do you kids want to be in the years to come? I want to be rich. You know, that's my goal. I want to be rich. Anybody who thinks money doesn't buy happiness is not an American. Okay? Oh, well, here was a rich guy. A rich young man who came to see Jesus, and he could tell something was missing. He wasn't sure what it was, but he knew there was just an emptiness. I have dealt with a lot of poor people and a lot of rich people and some filthy rich people, okay? I mean, people who just have more money than they have sense. Got it? And in dealing with them, one thing is very, 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 very clear. Money does not buy happiness. And money certainly will not buy your way into heaven. But the mindset in this culture, in this age, as it is in much of our world today and in many churches, tragically, is that if you 
are really walking with God, you're going to be rich. Prosperity gospel's not new. It's, it's a satanic lie that's been around a long time. But not only do people think that if you walk with God the way you should walk with God, you're going to be rich materially. Mindset is that if you're rich materially, you can walk with God. Now you can afford to. Okay? Now you won't be tempted to work on the Sabbath because you've got more money than you can spend in a lifetime. You can give to other people in ways that will impress God. You can do the right thing because you've got the money to afford it. And so if anybody has a good shot at heaven, it's a rich man. And this young man comes to Jesus and he says, I can tell something's missing. What do I have to do? What good thing do I have to do in order to get eternal life? Jesus says something to him that is the key to understanding everything else Jesus is going to say to him. Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Now, I would never tell a person that. Because I'm not as sensitive to the Holy Spirit as Jesus was to the Father. He said, I only say what the Father tells me to say. He tells this young man two things. One, there's only one who's good. See, this young man thought he was good. He thought he was. I mean, compared to other people. Yeah, but compared to the only one who is good, we're not good. If I compare myself to Vladimir Putin right now, I feel pretty good about myself. I've never done anything like that. I've never invaded a neighboring country just because people ridiculed me for my last name when I was growing up. Give you a moment to get that. I, I have never just called for the wanton destruction of women and children because I want to terrify my neighbors. I would, I would never do such a thing. I'm a good person. Well, compared to Vladimir Putin, yes, I am. I also stack up well against Hitler, Stalin, Mao, any number of folks. I could start naming politicians in Washington. And I feel compared to them, I'm really good. But, but, compared to God, when Isaiah caught a glimpse of God, He said, woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. If you catch just a glimpse of the holy God, you're not going to feel so good about yourself. Well, this young man was in the presence of God and he didn't even know who he's talking to. So he says, what good thing do I have to do? Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. Only God is good. Why don't you keep his commandments? And the young man says, in sincerity, which ones? Jesus lists a number of them, and he says, oh, done. (laughs) Check, check, check. I've kept those ever since I was a boy. I've been a good boy. He's a young man 
who thinks he's okay. Jesus had already preached the Sermon on the Mount in which he said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. You've heard it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Ah, well, that isn't what I meant when I said I'd kept the law. I mean, I haven't outwardly done, you know, I mean, I've never stabbed anybody to death. And Jesus says, yeah, how's your heart? I mean, I've, I've, never, I've never committed adultery. And Jesus says, are you sure about that? Jesus could have preached the Sermon on the Mount to this young man. He didn't. Instead, Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus went right to the heart of this young man's idolatry. He was very attached to his possessions. In fact, he didn't possess them. They possessed him. And this is the tragedy of so many people who've been blessed with great wealth And instead of their being in control of the wealth under God's stewardship, they let the wealth control their life. There's anxiety about what if I'm going to lose it? You have interesting conversations with people when they've just lost millions of dollars. Definitely gets their attention. Definitely gets their attention. And it happens especially if the government is bent on a ruinous course of financial policy. But Jesus gave him something to do. He gave him an assignment. The young man wanted something to do. He says, okay, do this. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have a reward in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, I know the disciples cringed. Because they wouldn't want the young man to get rid of everything and then come become one of Jesus' followers. They would want the young man to still be rich and join their merry band. (laughs) And he can pay for dinner, (laughs) okay, over and over and over. (laughs) You know, hey, uh, you wouldn't mind picking it up tonight, would you? Good, thanks. Let's let's keep this guy wealthy as a follower of Jesus. I think that's a win-win, isn't it? That's that's the best deal. Jesus says, no, if this guy's to follow me, he needs to voluntarily make himself poor. Who would that be like? The one who for our sakes became poor, who emptied himself, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, became one of us was humbled even to the point of death on a cross. Jesus says, you want to follow me? There's a cross involved. He doesn't just say to this man, he says it to us. If you want to follow me, it'll cost you everything. It'll cost you everything. Well, the guy went away very sad. 
End of story. No, not end of story. Jesus was still teaching. And so he said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That was shocking to them. And so he made it even more pointed. Again, I tell you that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. What? A camel through the eye of a needle? Well, um, some scholars believe that there was a particular gate um, going into uh, the city And it was called the eye of the needle because it was smaller than the other gates and and it was very tough for a camel to get through there. You know how much evidence there is for that in terms of actual research? Zero. Okay? What Jesus was saying was you got to puree the camel before you can get it through the eye of a needle. (laughs) Okay? Uh, it's impossible. And the disciples understood that. They didn't say, ooh, that's hard. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, and they said, who then can be saved? Because in other words, Jesus had just said, if you're rich, it's impossible for you to save yourself. What do I have to do, the young man had said, in order to get eternal life? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is very difficult, but with God, it gets easier. Is that what he said? No. He said, with man, salvation is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You know what? It's not just hard to save yourself. It's impossible. It's impossible, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're one of the really bad people or whether you're one of the really good people by comparison to bad people. None of us can save ourselves. But God can save us. In fact, that's why Jesus came. Peter responded by saying, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Because Jesus had said to this guy, you'll have great reward. If you do what I say, you're going to have great reward. And then you can follow me. And Peter says, well, you know, we, we left our boats. By the way, after the resurrection, Peter still had a boat. <laughs> okay, He had not exactly gotten rid of everything. He had just left it to follow Jesus but he knew where to find it again. And that's the way that some of us want to do discipleship. Okay? We'll, we'll take what we have and put it over here and focus on serving the Lord, but we've got a backup plan. Jesus called this group to lay down their lives. And he calls us to do the same. If you're trying to figure out how you can be a follower of Jesus and still keep your parachute, you're just going to get hurt. If you surrender everything to follow him, you will be rewarded. But you may die a martyr's death. 
Pastor Wood, this is not a very good sales pitch. I'm sorry. I just need to let you know. I mean, it's really kind of a downer. Um, you're making it sound like following Jesus is liable to involve sacrifice. It's not liable to involve sacrifice. It involves sacrifice. Yeah, but I mean, I know Jesus said that thing about take up your cross and follow me, but I mean, can't we just wear one? No. You've got to be ready to die. You've got to die to self every day if you're really going to be a follower of Jesus. But Jesus says, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and those who are last will be first. In other words... God doesn't look at things the same way we do. To him, little children are very important. Amazing. You guys, what can you do with your life that's going to count? Pray about the possibility of working with kids, at least for a while. Are you willing? Well, I can't do that. I've got plans. Okay. Just do what God tells you. Just do what God tells you. My wife, as we were getting to know each other before we were married, we've gotten to know each other even better since we've been married, but before we were married, we were just getting acquainted, and the thing that had been used by the Lord to draw us together was that both of us felt God was calling us to have a children's home someday. And... um, As she got to know me, she discovered that, you know, snotty noses and things like that are not attractive to me, and, uh, and, and some of the games that kids like to play are just, I, I never was that young. Um, I've been old my whole life, and uh, even when I was a kid, people started saying sir to me when I was 14, literally. They did. Um, I've just always been old. And so she said to me, something no one had ever asked me. I was the head of a Big Brother, Big Sister program for the county there in Western Carolina, Buncombe County. I was was head of Project Reach Out. I, I was really concerned and doing all kinds of things and mentoring kids and tutoring and all this stuff. And she said, do you like kids? No one had ever asked that. They just told me I was doing a wonderful job with kids, which I was. But she said, do you like kids? And I said, no, but I love kids. I care about where they're going to spend forever. I care about their pain, the fact that they're hurting, they're going through difficult things. God loves kids. And that's the reason why. So I would say to you, staff, visitors, volunteers, consider the fact that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Don't hinder them from coming to me. You don't have to work with kids to take that seriously. Be sure that your life is not going to become a hindrance to some child believing.
and trusting Jesus. Make sure that your behavior as a parent, as an uncle, as a sibling, as a grandparent, is not going to be a stumbling block to a child. Do not hinder them from coming to Jesus. Be sure that your relationship to a peer, students, is not going to hinder them from coming to Jesus. Because Jesus said that children matter deeply to God. And the rich, God can save the rich. But you don't have to be rich to get saved. And being saved is a universe better than being rich. Father, you have called us to come to Jesus and receive life from him. Help us to believe the good news, to repent and believe the good news. Grant that we would stop trying to save ourselves and realize it's impossible without you. But because of Jesus, all things are possible. I can do nothing without you. I can do all things through you. Hallelujah. You are working all things together for my good and your glory. Let this be our confession this day. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Do we have anybody?